Hello and welcome to this podcast from the BBC World Service. Please let us know what you think and tell other people about us on social media. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. That 56 seconds it took me to swim that gold medal win, I looked for that feeling for 30 years and I never found it. A podcast about the people behind the medals. On the podium from the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Life Scientific. Today I'm at the Cheltenham Science Festival. And more specifically, I'm sitting in front of a lovely, lively looking audience in the city's glorious Parabola Arts Centre. With me is a guest who's been referred to as a former child prodigy, but who prefers to describe herself as having been the class clown at school. Anne-Marie Imaffedon passed her computing A-level at the age of 11. By 16, she was off to the University of Oxford to study mathematics and computer science. After university, Anne-Marie joined the multinational investment firm Deutsche Bank, and there she might have remained if it hadn't been for an invitation to a women in tech conference, where she was horrified to discover how few women were actually working in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM. This revelation sparked her vision for an organisation that would introduce girls to STEM ideas and careers in ways that made them fun and accessible. And in 2013, she launched the not-for-profit social enterprise STEMETS to do just that. It's now in its 10th year and still growing. Anne-Marie has since received an MBE, enjoyed a successful stint as the numbers guru on the TV series Countdown, and is the current president of the British Science Association. So much achieved so young would be enough to turn anyone's head, but Anne-Marie modestly attributes her success to having incredibly supportive parents who always told her she could do anything. She says, my dad thinks I could be prime minister or even join the House of Lords, but you know, where's the signal in there? I'd crumble without 5G. (laughs) Anne-Marie Mavardin, welcome to Life Scientific. Great to have you here, Anne-Marie. I, I, I trotted out that phrase that you must have heard a lot, child prodigy. How do you feel about that label? I hear it a lot, but what I love about how you trotted it out was that you put the word former at the beginning. <laughs> a well, lot of folks... Only in the sense that you're now an adult. <laughs> I, I know, but the, and, it, and it seems so sensible and so obvious, but a lot of folks are kind of expecting a 10-year-old to kind of <laughs> appear, and, and that's not how ageing works. Um, it, it, it's a label I embrace. It's one that I wear with honour, but it's also something that I realise is a privilege in itself. And as someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of other privileges, it's something that I'm very aware of all that you know, comes with that term. Mm. But it also is a big driver, a big motivator for me in so much of what I do, not only because of the bad rap and the different things that have happened to lots of different child prodigies, Mm. but also because I still don't think I'm that special. I know there's an Mm. element of what I did that wasn't normal or isn't regular, Mm. Mm. but I do fundamentally believe that there are a lot of Anne-Marie's, lots more Anne-Marie's, but you know, majority of people probably are Anne-Marie's if they were given the same opportunity. And so it's something that I always strive to show that this is not just about me, it's about creating those opportunities for others. And the concept of STEMETs is all about introducing other girls and young women to STEM in entertaining ways. How important is that element of fun in, in science and education in particular? It's incredibly important. And for me, starting STEMETs, I was very aware of 
what happens in formal STEM settings mm. and how often they don't ever really get to access informal, fun-focused STEM settings. And so then we equate STEM and technical fields with seriousness. And that's not what all of STEM is about. Your work is all about challenging inequalities. How do we make things better? Are there any quick fixes? So this is such a multifaceted problem that the fix might not be that quick. If we look at historically marginalised groups across this field, this has been going on for a very long time. It's been incredibly intentional as well. And so I think to solve the problem, there's a lot of intentional kind of counter work that we need to do Um, whether it's at the norms and the stories and the stereotypes that we have around who Mm. is technical. We have a lot of stories that we tell. And in fact, it's almost exclusively the stories that we hear of technical folks. They're all dead. They're all white. They're all male. And they Mm. all have beards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and so we have this thing that you have to have all four. Jim, just for the listeners, Jim doesn't have a beard today. And so... (laughs) He's only really only ticking one of those boxes, actually. And, and, but it's, it's a frustration that I have. And that then ends up permeating what we value, mm. how we make recruitment decisions, how we make funding decisions, how we see ourselves if, you know, in, in the technical space. And so there are no quick fixes, but I think that would be the quickest fix. If we could mm. really disseminate herstory and allow everyone to just be able to not just imagine but be able to touch, I don't know, um, their Wi-Fi router and mm. realise that Hedy Lamar is part of that story. Yeah. Or, you know, you're following GPS and you've got Gladys West and the mathematics yeah. that she did. And so one of the biggest fixes we can have is if we can empower everybody with that knowledge that this isn't just for a certain type of person, you can be other things and be able to add value to this conversation. Yeah. That would be the beginning. But of course, you know, we've got the pay gap, we've got policies. There's so many things that yeah. we need to change to improve the situation. Okay, Anne-Marie Maffin, let's hear about you and how you started off and how you got into this business. You grew up in East London with your parents and four siblings, and I gather it was a very happy and very noisy childhood. It was. Uh, I'm British, Nigerian. <laughs> Nigerians love a party. We love eating. Uh, we were in and out of church. There was always something to celebrate. So it was incredibly loud. Um, we also had two TVs, one stacked on top of the other. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's, in the yeah. living room. And my dad would watch the one on the top and we'd watch the one on the bottom. <laughs> which, which one with the volume up on? My dad's. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it was incredibly noisy. It was a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun when we are together. Mm. A lot of love in that home, um, but also a lot of freedom. You Your know. parents both worked. They did. Yeah. My parents both worked. They, they had to. You know, mm. five children is not cheap. And so it, it was a lot of coming and going. But it was an incredible environment. And there was a lot of freedom there to just do things. Whether that was, you know, taking apart the VCR player at home that was attached to one of the TVs. <laughs> uh, so whether it was doing things like that, whether it was... My dad's an ophthalmologist. And so whether it was me getting to type on his computer when he wasn't typing up whatever paper it was. And there were a lot of things that looking back... I was really fortunate that they didn't say, no, don't do that, Mm. or you're too young for that, or no, the girls don't, you know, there wasn't a lot of no. Mm. And so I do credit them quite a lot, because in the work we do with Stamets now, I get to meet so many people and hear so many stories. Someone that we work with who's a top engineer, you know, MBE, everything. Her father was an engineer, 
her big brother was an engineer, and when she said she wanted to be an engineer, her dad said, oh, yeah, but whatever you build is going to fall down. Why, why would that be? You know, and, and there's all these things that you get to hear, and so I'm really, really fortunate that that would have never been said to any of us, not just, you know, mm-hmm. me. And, and then while you had this home life where exploration, as you say, was encouraged, mm. at primary school you describe yourself as bouncing off the walls. Mm, primary and secondary, yeah. So I was incredibly boisterous. I was bouncing off the walls all the time, and... It was because I like my brain to be doing something. And a lot of school and education is about repetition. Mm, mm. And for me, it was like I'd, I'd heard, I heard that last year and I heard it the year before. So while you say what I know you've already said, I'm going to talk to my mate and we're going to have a, have a laugh and have some fun. And so I was incredibly what some folks would call disruptive. And in primary school, I was really fortunate. And our head of numeracy in the primary school was a guy called Mr. Davies. He saw that there's something else going on here. Yeah. And so it was parents' evening. He kind of suggested to my parents, I've heard of this accelerated learning. Maybe it's something we should look into. And so I was really, really fortunate to have that recognised and have that opportunity. And this is where those remarkable early achievements come in. Your teacher advised your parents to let you try studying and sitting for exams outside of school. Exactly, yeah. Because you can't do GCSEs in primary school. They're not, not registered not. as no. exam centres. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so had to had to do outside. Uh, but they were yeah, incredibly supportive of that as a concept because it meant that then I wasn't talking to my friends Mm. my Mm. friends could then listen directly to the teacher so at the age of 11 Mm. um, you took and passed your computing a level as Mm. I mentioned in the introduction now there's been a long debate about the pros and cons of early exam Mm -hmm. pressures in in schools Mm -hmm. do you think it can be good to challenge youngsters so I think it's good for youngsters to give things a go and The frustration I have is there's a lot of weight that adults end up putting on things that children tap into. Mm. But I didn't write the paper expecting that I would pass. Mm. You know, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, I could definitely do this. It was, I'm going to give this a go. Right. And we'll see what happens. So there wasn't really... You weren't putting any pressure on yourself. There there was no pressure because Mm. if I failed, what would have happened, Jim? Yeah. Nothing. But I feel like there's a lot of pressure we end up putting inadvertently or intentionally because of the infrequency with which we do exams. So the idea that the first time you do an exam that has any kind of consequences at 16, that adds pressure. If you allow folks to try it and fail it beforehand, then you reduce the pressure. But also, I had enough GCSEs by the time I got to year 11 that I had... I I think I only sat five papers, really, that I was Mm. looking for grades in because I already had picked up English, maths, I picked up them on the way. So you had your A-level... Mm. at the age of 11 mm. you're talking about doing GCSEs did, did you follow them yes, up because unfortunately you can't get into university without right so I did mix and match <laughs> <laughs> and by the time I went up to university I'd had three and a half maths A levels you, you, you had math you took French A level as well and that's before you even get to sixth form yeah just because if <laughs> you fail well. then what yeah, happened yeah. and I think that's what we that's what we take away from children I think the other thing we take away from them which I did have at my secondary school was we also pre-assume or pre-select. What do you mean by pre-select? So in my secondary school, at times it was an incredibly hostile, antagonistic environment. I already had these A-levels and these GCSEs. Mm. I sat down with our head of sixth form and said, I want to go to Oxford. And she threw her head back and she laughed at me. And she said, no, we've we've already got our 10 that we want to support in this sixth form. Why would we support you as one of those? (laughs) Right, and she laughed at me on Thursday, and you're all gasping, but what she didn't know is on the Tuesday, I'd been to interview at the actual sixth form that I went to for a year, and the guy, his name's Mr Donaldson, um, at a school in North London, he was like, yeah, 
why don't we get your application in this year so you can go and just mm. get on with it? And I think it's one of those ones where we have this with Stemets now. Every half-time school holiday, we run um, certification academies. And these are young people that we don't say, you must have this grade or you must pass this test. It's free and fun. We'll pay for your training, your accommodation, and even a parent if they need to come with you to come and get a certification in Python, which is a programming language, in cyber or in agile, which is a way that we run projects now in industry. And we do this every half term. And they get an adult's qualification, no fanfare. And if they fail, they fail. Mm. They had the food, they had the fun, they learned something. If they pass, that's something they take on into adulthood. Sure. Well, 2006, Anne-Marie, you went off to Keeble College, Oxford. I did. To study maths and computer science. Yes. How did you enjoy your time I there? loved it. Yeah? I loved it. This was a four-year integrated master's It was a four-year, and mm. I really enjoyed it. As with anybody from my background, anyone like me, you, you don't really know anyone that's been there. You, mm. you don't really know what you're stepping into, but you know it's the Oxford. And so you have an imagination of the things that might come up or the reasons mm. that you might feel out of place or how many folks from, I don't know, Eton you're going to bump into. And I remember the main times when I felt like the odd one out were not about yachts or secondary schools or money, but were in fact about the OU Bell Ringing Society. <laughs> and my senior tutor, rest in peace, Stephen Cameron, was the um, sponsor for the Bell Ringing Society. And it happens that there's a lot of similarities between the arrangement of bells and groups, the mathematical concept of groups. And so we'd be in tutes and everyone would be like, yeah, this is the mm, formation. Right. It's like that kind of, that's the homogeneous with that kind of group. And I'd be like, uh-huh. You knew the maths, but you didn't I knew know the, the maths. Te- I had no idea the what they were talking about on the bell ringing. The bell ring. But also I thought, you know, how, how interesting that of all the things that there are about me, that's the thing the that you, that you, I, yeah, you didn't feel Yeah, the reason I feel like other that. in this room is because I don't bell ring. <laughs> but I loved my time there. Did you ever think of going on, staying on in academia after your degree? I did. But because I'd raced through, I was like, I need to go and do something else and try real life. Mm. But you had a clear idea of what you wanted to do anyway, because I think since the age of 16, you'd been doing these internships at, uh, at big-name investment banks, Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank... And you joined Deutsche Bank after graduation? I had a clearish idea. What did your work involve? What were you doing there? I was working in tech. I was working in the tech department. I was solving problems in the bank and solving problems using my knowledge of technology. And so the last biggest thing that I ended up working on was um, collaboration software for folks across the bank in, mm-hmm. to, to share ideas and share thoughts and thought processes cross-department, cross-country cross-function, but still maintaining the Chinese wall that you have to have in between kind of public and private side. So that was interesting work. It was well-paid. I was listened to. I was valued. And it afforded me lots of opportunities, one of which mm. is why I'm sat here today. Yeah, well, you've talked a bit about STEMETS. We'll come back to how that got started. But you talk about promoting equality and diversity. It's what STEMETS is all about. But I'm interested to know how you found diversity there. The, the corporate world that you started in, was it something you were conscious of? No, but I think that says a lot more about me than it does about the world that I was in. As smart as I may be, I'm not incredibly perceptive. And I was mm. listened to, I was promoted, I was mm. valued, I was heard. And so I, I didn't notice that I was the only in lots of different spaces. But you notice the issue, the problem with lack of diversity in tech industry when you were invited to a major women in tech event, the 2012 Grace Hopper Celebration. This is an annual conference in the USA named after the pioneering American computer scientist Grace Hopper. And being there at that conference 
changed your perspective entirely. It did. So I went off to this conference in the States, mostly because it was a free conference in the States to talk about technology and why wouldn't I want to do that. And I turned up and there were three and a half thousand technical women in the conference. Like that, that was who was there. And having been in technology my entire life, I'd never been in a room with three and a half thousand technical women. It's just not something I'd ever experienced, not something I knew I was missing, but it was incredibly life-affirming And there was a bit of a shift. I call it my road to Damascus moment of, oh my goodness, you know, we're all queuing for the same loo at this tech conference, which normally you just have it to yourself. Um, They were, you know, admiring my my clothes as well as what I'd said on stage. We were kind of comparing. There was all these kind of similarities and and it was, you know, almost like X-Men kind of coming together. And you're like, oh, you can do that too. And you're like, yeah, I normally have to hide it. Um, And so it was great to be there. But there was also a keynote, Nora Denzel, speaking about the freefall. The number of women in technology industry in the US had been in freefall up until that point. And so she implored all of us. She said, all of you are women in tech. Here's five reasons to stay. And here's five reasons to give a friend so we can start to reverse that trend. And I, I distinctly remember being sat there thinking, huh, Americans and their problems, eh? You know, um, because again, not very perceptive me, right? And so got back home, and this was about the time that the Institute of Physics had put out their No Girl Left Behind paper. And so I was like, ah, oh, okay, right. So also here in the UK, so it's not just me, it's also the physicists, it's also the, you know, and that was how Stamets then right. came to be. So you come back to the UK, mm. inspired by this conference, you set up Stamets. And it takes off. I mean, it was a, a success quite early on. So initially it was the Stamets project. And I didn't realise what I'd struck. I didn't realise what I'd hit on. I hadn't intended to end up, I don't know, at number 10 with Michael Gove and David Willits by the end of the first year. I hadn't intended to literally be working two full-time jobs and not then sleeping or eating. And I love eating. I also love sleeping. <laughs> I created a monster. That was what I called it for the first year, at least. It took two years before I was like, I can only do one job on this scale. And so I had to then make a decision about which job it would be that I was keeping. And I knew the upside of impact, of legacy, of change was much more in Stamets than it was in my traditional day job. And so I stepped across it. And yet now we're in, it's the 10th anniversary of Stamets. Mm, 10 years. How has it evolved over the last decade? Oh, goodness. It has evolved in many ways. It's had to evolve in the nature of our offer. We've had to evolve in the scale of what we do. The pandemic was a big part of an evolution. And we had to evolve because at that point we had Mm. a community. At that point, we were the lifeline for so many young people. Um, We've been on this role model employer journey as well. We have a four-day work week. We have menstrual. Like There's a lot of things that we've had to evolve internally as well as what's going on externally. But I think the sweetest part has been, you know, offering those opportunities. People always ask, sorry to preempt you, Jim, but people always ask, you know, what am I most proud of? And it is every half term they're sat and they're learning these things like I was doing. And those girls, those young women, the young people then end up coming back. And the number of funders and people and partners we work with now, because so-and-so has ended up in cyber or AJ's working now in that tech industry or so-and-so is now a researcher at such and such university that is the evolution now it's almost almost (laughs) self-sustaining she says (laughs) well we have to talk about the tv series countdown Mm -hmm. in 2021 (laughs) you were asked to step in as the numbers bod the arithmetician (laughs) yeah (laughs) so regular co-host rachel riley went on maternity leave her second one so how did that come about just some producer call you up and say do you want to do this 
So I, I guess there's not that many women that do maths and we all know each other. So <laughs> when Rachel knew that she needed cover, she reached out and she sent me a message and it was around the same time that I'd been asked to do Black to Front. There was a Black to Front day on Channel 4 and there was a special episode with uh, Trevor McDonald, Len Sisse and Marvin Cole and I was asked to step in as a rhythmician for that. Right. So Rachel sent me a DM, as of, you know, most things happen these days. And she was like, yeah, do you want to cover for me? And I thought she was taking the mick. Right. So I literally just sent a <laughs> emoji back. You're funny. <laughs> that was it. And then all of a sudden, there I was on set. It was a whirlwind. Uh, Is it 60 episodes? And you were telling me earlier, you, when you record, you record five episodes a day. You record five episodes a day. Three days on the trot. <laughs> Everybody has lost the plot by the end of it. But you have to stay sharp. I, mean, I have to. I, mean, I can't. For the, my wife's far better than me at the numbers okay. on, on calendar. I'm useless. I can do algebra and calculus, yep. fine, but yeah. arithmetic, no. I'm so glad you said that, Jim. Do you know why? Because so many folks are like, oh, Emma, you went to Oxford to do maths. I'm like, yeah, but we don't do countdown arithmetic in our maths degrees. In fact, we don't see any numbers <laughs> at all. So I've had to learn this from scratch. It was incredibly surreal. And it's still funny now when people talk to me about it. Has it impacted your life? In many ways, Yes. A lot of folks saw it. Um, a lot of uh, people that look like me saw someone that looked like them doing the numbers, and that's something they'd never seen. Mm. A lot of people who didn't realise they had an allergic reaction to seeing people like me do numbers had an allergic reaction <laughs> and had to work that through, and or maybe are still working that through. I think that there was a lesson in that backlash happening publicly. Right. And it's still something I reflect on and I want other folks to learn as well as me learning from this that there's so much of that that goes on privately. And I was really, really fortunate that I saw the counter-backlash before I saw the backlash of why have we got a black woman on TV doing maths? And the number of people that came out, the outpouring of support was huge. And there were so many folks, oh, I'm so sorry that's happened to you, I'm so sorry. And I was like, yeah, but I've been a black woman for 30 plus years. So a lot of this is not... I mean, it's a shock for you. It's really not a shock for me. Um, and so actually use the shock and go and make sure that you're doing this in private for the black women and all the others that you know and that you see because they're getting this again and again and again, time and time again, continuously, and they still show up for work. Yeah. Well, there's so much more we can talk about, but it's time for some questions from our audience here at Cheltenham. Yes. Hi, um... If you belong to a technical organisation, what one thing would you want that technical organisation to do to encourage more girls and more ethnic minorities into STEAM and technology generally? Pay people equally in your organisation if they're doing the same job. That's it. That's all I'm asking you to do. <laughs> It's so simple and yet so difficult, right? Because it just doesn't happen. That's, that's, the one, that's the one thing I want you to do, just pay them the same, please. Hi. You mentioned about how important it is to make fun learning. Was it actually that fun, having all those exams so early? Yes. Yeah, it was fun. Maths is fun. It, it, you're solving problems. You're like, because that's how many pineapples... Yeah. Jim now has in his trolley, you know, and you and you don't know what's next. It's like a make your own adventure. I really, I didn't, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and, it, and we can say it can be hard. It's hard as well, but that doesn't mean yeah, it's but, not fun. Yeah, exactly. Fun <laughs> things can be hard. Hard things can be fun. They're not mutually exclusive. 
I mean, not everybody's exam experience is fun. I get that, and anxiety, and if your whole life depends on the grade you're about to get, then yeah, maybe it's slightly less fun, but that's why we shouldn't really run it that way. I'll tell my students that. <laughs> yes? You've spoken a lot about being a, a woman in that STEM environment, but you've not really noticed, perhaps, when you may have been you know, penalised for being a woman. Has there ever been a situation where you've come away from it, or even now, and you look back and that's something where you were like, wow, like, I really was sort of belittled for being a, a woman sort of thing? Great question, yes. Felix, I talk about Felix all the time. Felix is someone I used to work with who... Um, I love databases, I don't know if, we, if we've covered that already. They're my favourite things. Um, genuinely, like, data structures. Oh, anyway, so there was a data structure behind our system that we were working on at work, and I knew it intimately because I like databases and we ended up at an offsite. We we're trying to solve a really big problem and we needed to do things with the database. And I was left in the room with Felix and a couple of other folks to try and solve this out. We're talking through the problem and I suggest something. So I'm like, there's this flag in the database on every record. We probably could just use that to make the query. Query optimization I also love, which if you love databases it all comes together a bit. But anyway, don't don't go to Radio 4 Extra please. Um, <laughs> so I, I say that and Felix kind of looks at me and is like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. And then goes off and builds this really contrived automated tagging system to re-tag and I'm sat there like, okay, well, do as you will, right? About an hour later, there's a contractor in the room who pipes up and has been reading through the documentation as we've been going through this and is like, oh no, that flag is there. Yeah, 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 we could just do what Marie said. And Felix looks up and is looking for the hidden camera in the room because he cannot believe that this little black girl knows the database more than he does, to the point that when my manager then came back in, because we all then come together at the end of the session, he's like, oh, did you plant her there? Did you, did you plant that idea <laughs> on her? And it's so funny, because in the moment, I'm like, ha, Felix, wasted half a day, but, you know, who cares, right? I'm, I'm, I'm here at the offsite, I'm not at my desk, it is what it is. And it's only as time has passed that I can look back and be like, yeah, Felix saw a little black girl saying stuff about the database that he didn't know, and he'd never, ever been in that environment, that a little black girl would know something that he didn't know. And so we outright rejected it, because why would I know what I'm talking about? I've taken the time to reflect on that, and now I can look back and say that, that was what Felix saw. I also cannot change my age. I'm not changing my gender, and ethnicity is completely out of my power to change. And so actually, it's also not about me then having to try and counter or do something different so I can be less black, less female, less whatever. But it's about, okay, what do I do now to ensure that I can be in spaces where what I contribute is going to be valued? And what I can do as I grow an agency and grow in power is try and edit the system so that Felix knows that value can come from anywhere, but also to ensure that you know, we can genuinely have that value then in the pay and the recruitment and the promotion and everything else around it, and then have the balanced tech community that the world deserves. That's all we have time for, unfortunately. Huge thanks to our wonderful audience here at Cheltenham Science Festival at the Parabola Arts Centre. And of course, to today's guest, please join me in thanking Anne-Marie Maffedon for sharing her life scientific. From their battles on the world stage. I gave everything for that race and I was able to come away with something that like I've dreamed about since I was a kid. To their battles behind closed doors. I had to reach some terrible bottoms in my addiction and suffer some really terrible consequences and suffer a lot of loss due to my drinking to get to where I am today. 
On the Podium is the podcast where Olympians and Paralympians share their stories. On the Podium from the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your BBC podcasts.